Chapter 9 of Sacred History Revealed by Lady Peggy O'Malley. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by John Brandon. Secret History Revealed by Lady Peggy O'Malley. By Charles Norris Williamson and Alice Muriel Williamson. Chapter 9. Unluckily, nothing could be proved through the telephone people. There was certain circumstantial evidence against one or two Mexican women, as I heard through Eagle March, but American families who employed Mexicans were privately informed of the existence of a possible plot against them, and consequently a number of Mexican servants in El Paso were thrown out of employment at an hour's notice. The authorities did all they could to keep any report out of the papers, but of course did not succeed, and the extras had choice titbits of sensation for that afternoon. The mysterious threat of an impending raid was enlarged upon, too, and to calm the public, as well as impress the other side of the river, it was decided to have a great parade of troops through the town. A day was settled upon to be called Army Day, but meanwhile precautions were taken to guard against any surprise coup, such as had been carried out across the Rio Grande at Juarez by a few constitutionalists against Federals one night some months before. The crowds who had been out to stare at the concentration camp, peopled with dark-faced thousands of men, women, and children, trailed in procession as near as they were allowed to approach the field guns placed on a bare brown eminence, whence their long noses pointed grimly across the river. There were six of these guns the day I saw them, all guns of Captain March's battery. But owing to their alignment, and the position of El Paso's few skyscrapers between this hill and the river, only four of the guns would threaten destruction to any buildings in the town, in case the artillery had to be brought into action. The other two could be fired in the unlikely event of a disturbance, it was believed, without danger to American property. I heard this with lots of other exciting details of the preparations going on from Tony Dalziel, who thought, whether rightly or wrongly, that he could chat to me on the one great subject of interest without indiscretion. He told me, among other things, that if fire had to be opened on Juarez, just across the river, he understood from talk, he heard, that these two comparatively innocuous guns would alone be used at first. If the damage they did on the opposite side were enough to force the enemy to capitulate in haste, the other four guns would remain silent, and El Paso intact. But said Tony, and his fellow officers said the same, in spite of the persistent rumor of a raid, it was almost certain now that there would be no trouble. It was whispered that because Americans had given sanctuary to federal troops in flight, and for other reasons not so widely known, 
General Carranza had wanted to organize an attack on the United States frontier across the Rio Grande, temptingly shrunken by a large drought. But it was reported at the same time that General Villa had forcibly opposed the suggestion, and it was very improbable that any serious attempt would be made to carry it out. It was Tuesday when I gave the alarm of the poison plot, and Thursday was the day gossip suggested for a raid. Nevertheless, the people were no longer nervous. They felt a joyful confidence in the troops who had been sent to reinforce the garrison at Fort Bliss, and even the most blood-curdling newspaper headlines had at length lost much of their gruesomeness. By this time Millie Dalziel was as well as ever once more, and using her regained health to make a dead set at Eagle March. I shouldn't tell this of her, if what she did later hadn't influenced events in a strange dramatic way. She couldn't let Eagle alone, and she showed her feelings so plainly, as a very rich girl sometimes thinks she may do with a comparatively poor man, that even Eagle himself, despite his lack of self-conceit and his preoccupation with thoughts of die, couldn't help understanding. He kept out of Millie's way as often as he could, but she attributed this retirement to the calls of duty, and at last began to behave so foolishly that for her own sake he gently snubbed her. Poor Millie Dalziel had not her pretty bright red hair for nothing. Her impulsive emotions, which she concealed badly, and her fiery temper were its natural accompaniments. When it burst upon her that Eagle March did not admire her as she admired him, and thought it best she should realize this once for all, she suffered a wild reaction of feeling. From being slavishly, ridiculously in love, she flew to the other extreme, and after an embarrassing little scene in which Eagle firmly avoided her, she broke out to me in hysterical abuse of him. He was rude. He was no gentleman. And she didn't see how I could make a friend of such an ungracious brute. The one thing he could do was to fly, and she only wished he would fly, far away, and never be seen again. I was too sorry for the girl to resent, as I ought to have resented her childish but mean abuse. I knew only too well how much it hurt to be in love with Eagle March, and not to have him care an American red cent in return. I let Millie talk for a while, and then tried to soothe her down, saying that she would feel differently about everything next day. This was the signal for the girl to turn on me, which she did so ferociously that I began to fear I must find an excuse to cut my visit short. I wanted to stay. I had very little money for traveling, and I was sure father would send funds with reluctance especially as he had no doubt hoped that Tony and I would, after all, come together. With Di and me, 
both safely disposed of to rich husbands, he would be free to marry Kitty Maine, or do anything he pleased. With this thought in my mind, the situation looked rather desperate, and that night, Thursday night, I was lying awake to wonder what I could do, when suddenly the night silence, which falls on lively El Paso after twelve, was broken with the noise of a tremendous explosion. The huge bulk of the hotel quivered as if struck with a titan's hammer, and it must have been the same with every other building in town. I jumped out of bed mechanically, not knowing what I did. Only my body acted. For an instant my brain was dazed. Connection cut off. The first thing I really knew, I found myself standing at the open window, clinging to the curtains. What is it? What is it? I was stammering out loud and before I could get any answer from within, again came the same appalling sound. With that, as if a second shock could restore the senses stolen by the one preceding, I guessed that what I had heard must be gunfiring on the hill. The raid has come then, after all, I thought with awe rather than fear, and thousands of other people must have been thinking the same thought at the same moment. It was a clear, starry night, the sky glittering with a blue-spangled robe that scintillates with the motion of a dancer, and the electric lamps of the city below lighting the streets as brightly as if the moon were up. When I first reached the high window and stared down from it, I had the impression that those streets were empty, but immediately after the second shot and its reverberating echo, dark figures began swarming out. Heads appeared in every visible window of the hotel. Electricity was switched on in darkened rooms, and women showed themselves in their nightgowns, with hair streaming over their shoulders, or hair lamentably absent, careless whether they were seen or not. I heard screaming and shouting, and then all such small sounds were swallowed up in another roar, the third. My thoughts flew to Eagle. If there were a raid, he would be in danger. He might be killed, and I should never see him again. I didn't think at the minute what might happen to the rest of us. Nothing and no one seemed to matter except Eagle. Still only half conscious of what I did, unable to decide what might be best to do, I dropped on my knees to pray that Eagle might be safe. But I had only just begun to stammer out my appeal when there came a sharp tapping at the door. Let us in! Let us in! Millie's voice cried, and Mrs. Dalziel quaveringly repeated the same words. I shot back the bolt and the two in their nightgowns almost fell into the room. Millie, crying, seized me in her arms and begged me to forgive her for all her unkindness to me. We should probably be dead in a few minutes or hours, and she wanted to die at peace. 
as she faltered on mrs dalziel sobbed that tony would be killed and their fears made me brave i was suddenly convinced that there had been no raid and said so i'm sure there's nothing to be afraid of i insisted stoically remember we've heard only three cannon shots or sounds like shots there'd be constant firing if there had been a mexican surprise and there couldn't have been a surprise after all the warnings we had anyhow a handful of mexicans wouldn't dare with all those troops and guns on the spot but what can have happened if it isn't an attack wailed mrs dalziel if only my son were here did the shots come from our side of the river or the other milly asked speaking more to herself than to me for one was as ignorant on the subject as the other i couldn't tell for sure could you no i said i hadn't thought of the other side i just took it for granted it was our own guns firing for some reason or other but what reason persisted milly why should they fire three shots in the dead of the night and then stop perhaps it's maneuvers or a firing drill or something i hazarded weakly feeling all the time that it was nothing of the sort perhaps mrs dalziel and milly both agreed looking a little relieved by my silly supposition shall we hurry up and dress ourselves and go downstairs i suggested see what a lot of people are in the streets the whole town surprised out of its wits and wild to know what's happened why shouldn't we know too oh yes let's go down cried milly by this time teresa is certain to be in mother's room in hysterics and nothing else we'll make her stop and drape herself in a blanket and dress us thank goodness i can dress myself and in five minutes i said they were hesitatingly out forgetting to close my door and before i could do so myself i heard teresa's voice across the hall i didn't stop to put up my hair but let it hang down my back i didn't even tie my shoes or fasten more than three hooks of my easiest blouses one at the top one in the middle and one at the waist consequently i was ready before the dalziels but waited for them outside the door of their suite almost dazedly watching people men and women half clothed dashing out of their rooms toward the stairs and elevators some of these were jabbering to each other but nobody seemed to know what had happened they were merely wondering as we were and in the big hall where some of the lights had been switched on we could glean no further details several of the hotel employees had arrived on the scene more or less dressed and they did what they could to come their guests presently one of the managers appeared and he strongly advised everyone to remain in the hotel if any trouble were afoot it would be safer indoors than out 
and news might be expected soon. He had already sent a trustworthy messenger, he explained, to inquire of the police, and the answer would be more reliable than mere wild gossip picked up in the street among the crowd. Some of the older men and all the women took the manager's advice, though a good many young men disregarded it, and went off foraging for news. Those of us who remained in the house, however, didn't think of meekly returning to our rooms. We heard it together in the hall of the hotel, in a fever of expectation, strangers hobnobbing like old acquaintances and exchanging opinions on the mysterious alarm. The time of waiting seemed long, but we three had not been below more than twenty minutes, perhaps, when people who had been out began to stream back with tidings of a sort for their families. No two men had quite the same story to tell. One had heard that a band of Apaches from a low quarter of the town had organized a scare to stir up the military. Another had been told on good authority that the Mexicans had fired guns from across the river and injured one of the tall buildings in El Paso. Nobody knew which. A third assured everybody that our guns had been fired, but charged only with blank to frighten the Mexicans at the moment when they hoped to give us a surprise. By and by, the messenger dispatched by the manager came back, but he had little new light to throw on the situation, except to assure everyone on the authority of the police that there had been no raid and there was no danger of any kind for the town. Accordingly, the best thing for its inhabitants to do would be to go to bed again. Very few, however, seemed inclined to take this advice. Mrs. Dalziel might have done so had Millie and I consented, but I had an idea that Tony would come to the hotel, if possible, sooner or later, expecting us to be anxious. I was right, for in an hour or not much more, while we all sat munching sandwiches hastily provided, the familiar plump figure in khaki stalked into the hall. Millie and I both sprang up, and Tony directed himself toward us. But before he came near enough to speak, I knew that something really terrible had happened. Whether he meant to tell us the truth or not was another question. The jolly round-faced boy seemed to have lost the characteristics I associated most closely with him, and when a youth with comical features of the Billiken type is suddenly fitted with a tragic mask, the effect is somehow more alarming than any look of distress on a serious face. He tried to grin as his mother greeted him, like one returning from the dead. Why, Mater, he said, anyone'd think to see and hear you that I'd been blown to smithereens, and this was my ghost. You'll laugh, I guess, when I tell you what really happened. I got leave to make a dash and put you out of your misery. When he had gone so far, he stopped and swallowed. He looked sick, and all the more so because of the billiken grin, which he was afraid to let drop. His eyes wandered from his mother to me, and I saw pain in them. I felt for the first time that little Tony was a grown-up man. Well, well, Millie urged sharply, why don't you tell us? I'm a bit out of breath, her brother excused himself. I hiked over here pretty fast. 
borrowed a bicycle. Give me a second to get my wind back, sis. But this was more than Millie could do. Weren't you with the guns tonight, she asked. You said you were going to be. Did I say that? Well, I was. But, but the row you all heard had nothing to do with the guns, you know. At least nothing directly. It was the ammunition, an accident, you see. One of our chaps dropped a lighted match, and it set fire to part of our train of ammunition. Three shells burst. But, but nobody was hurt except, except who? Millie had to break in before Tony could go on. I said nothing at all. I only looked at him. But after that first glance, he kept his eyes away from me. I believed purposely. Except an orderly of one of the officers and, oh, very slightly indeed, March. He's hardly hurt at all. But you mustn't be surprised if you don't see him around for the next few days. The blood rushed up to Millie's pale face, but she pressed her lips together almost viciously and forced herself not to speak. Her green-gray eyes flashed out one distress signal, then seemed to shut it off deliberately and coldly. Captain March exclaimed kind Mrs. Dalziel with real distress. Oh, I'm so sorry that he should be hurt. So are we, Tony responded, and voice and face would have told me, if I hadn't guessed before, that he was either keeping back something of grave importance or else carefully lying. Will he really be all right again in a few days? The dear little lady went on. Er, perhaps not all right, but nothing to worry about, said Tony with lumbering cheerfulness. He's in no danger of death. Anyhow, that's one good thing. What about Major Van Dyke? I heard myself say, and even as the question came, I wondered why I should have thought of it in that connection. But somehow it would out, and only my subconscious self, far down in mysterious depths, knew the reason. Oh, Major Van Dyke, why, as it happens, he went over to the other side of the river in his motor car on business. A flame of suspicion in me was lit by that match. To Mexico? I exclaimed. But I was told only this very day by Captain March that no officer or soldier was allowed to cross the river on any pretext whatever. That was, is, so, in an ordinary way, Tony admitted, swallowing heavily again. But you see, that fearful row on the hill where the guns are might must have set a hornet's nest buzzing over there. The chaps were likely to think we were potting at them out of a clearer sky, and uh, they might have begun potting back at us in a minute or two in their excitement. So to save the situation, Van Dyke scooted across with only his orderly, who's his chauffeur too, in his own car with some sort of white flag rigged up in a jiffy. I expect you'll get a lot of credit for that dash when the story, I mean the facts, are out. It was a brave thing to do, cried Mrs. Dalziel, almost delighted to praise anyone. He must have risked his life. Yes, said Tony, no doubt of that. 
the mexican british sentries might have fired on him in spite of the white flag they they did fire i believe but van dyke's all right anyhow you speak as if someone wasn't i heard myself talking though i seem not to have spoken the words deliberately only the orderly poor chap he was driving the car i guess the sentries saw him before they saw the white flag they shot him yes unfortunately they did tony's voice broke a little and that struck me as odd for he could not have had any personal interest it seemed in major van dyke's chauffeur orderly i hope they didn't kill the poor fellow purred mrs dalziel i don't think he's dead yet mater but i'm afraid he's past speaking they got him in the lungs major van dyke's come back then i said oh yes he was back in less than an hour after a parley was over explaining everything and making the constitutionalists understand we weren't meaning them any harm i didn't get leave to see you till just after he had brought his car and his wounded orderly over to this side again and now if your minds are calmed down i'll be off i've told you no secrets everything i've said the papers will repeat tomorrow but all the same please don't talk to anyone about this business promise mater and milly and i guess i don't need to ask you lady peggy now good-bye i'll see you as early as i can in the morning he kissed his mother patted milly on the arm and gave my hand such a shake that i should have writhed if i had worn any rings for once instead of lingering he had the air of being glad to escape from us but on an impulse i followed him to the door and called him back just as he had reached the threshold tony i began he turned with a start and stopped i had often been invited but had never before consented to call him tony i want to ask you something before you go i said he gave me a queer apprehensive look please don't then i'll tell you something instead there isn't one word of truth in your story about what happened you've been making it all up that's where you're mistaken he contradicted me i haven't made it up if not somebody made it up for you and you've been ordered to put the story round this is what people are to believe the version that the papers will be given but it's no use giving it to me i don't believe it so there it's all i've got to say and even you won't get a different word out of me he said despairingly you always did have a wonderful imagination lady peggy but whatever you may think for god's sake don't blab to any one else unless to me and i'd rather you wouldn't even to me i tell you i'm pretty near all in i let him go but i made up my mind that i would not be put off with the story which papers and public were to get i would know the truth and exactly what had happened to eagle march end of chapter nine Recording by John Brandon.